Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. LZ Granderson, how the hell are you? I missed you. Apparently, I will continue to miss you because I don't hear you right now. <laughs> so, none the... LZ, are you there? Nope. Still don't hear him. I'm here, George. What's going on? Okay. How are you? Hi, Greg. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Laura's here, too. Off to a resounding start here. Laura, Laura, I definitely yes, missed you. Exciting. Where the hell have you been? The boss has had me working the Laker games. That's where I've been. Okay. Well, you know, I um, I mean, I guess I can't really argue. Which boss, though? Was it Greg or was it Amanda? It was Greg. But, you know, we're here to help. We're here to help. I mean, Greg, why are you taking her off our show? Why are you taking her off our show? See, if it was Amanda, I would absolutely be like, okay, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. But this is just a situation where we have some uh, some stuff going on, and we have very short staff, and Laura's kind enough to step in where we need her. Does that work? You're a good team player. Is that corporate enough? You're a good team player, Laura, is what he's saying. Yes, Yes. I am. I'll take it. LZ's also here. Hey, LZ! I literally started the show by saying I missed you, and then you weren't there. I'm sorry. Uh, urination called. Oh. Perhaps you heard the of The nation country. of Uri. Yes. <laughs> have you heard of that country? I have. They don't require a passport or anything. You can just go walk right in. Uh, <laughs> I missed you guys. And let you in and out as well. There you go. There you yeah. Go. yeah. Not just in, but also out, which, you know, is not the case in every country. As we all know. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, we've got a busy show for everyone today, um, which has gotten less busy because we've had some guests cancel on us. Not going to say who, but we've got good guests still for you today. Um, We do want to uh, celebrate the life of Hank Aaron. We also will be talking a lot about the Lakers' big win because before we get to Hank Aaron here, LZ, because I want to spend a few moments talking about that, I just want to say one thing about the Lakers. For all y'all out there who've been hating on the Lakers, Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. You and your producers getting up in the videos, right? Talking mm-hmm. about the Lakers' strength of schedule. What are you going to say now? Come on to Sedano and LZ, and your producer won't be up in the videos. Well, actually, that's not true because both of them are in the videos. But just <laughs> disregard that and come on to this bandwagon where we respect the Los Angeles Lakers regardless of who is on their schedule, LZ. Correct? You know, George, you know this. You recognize hateration when it comes. You just, you know, you, you just ignore it. So I heard the people chirping, like you. I heard the people pointing out who they faced and, oh, Houston's trash right now and blah, 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 blah. Like we didn't just run through the league and winning a championship just a couple of months ago. Not even like three months ago, right? So I fully expected us to go in and beat Milwaukee in their house in large part because of the way that we lost the Golden State Warriors by losing our focus, but also because I knew LeBron can say all he wants is just another game. I knew, and you knew, and everyone who has been watching this man knew he was going to go in that house and let them know that they made a mistake. So I wasn't sweating I wasn't worried, and I think it's absolutely hilarious that people thought the strength of schedule would somehow expose the champions. Man, listen. Let me explain something to you. I'm I, I, I I am with you whole. I, LeBron, listen. I love me LeBron James. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a lot of uh, my career in the NBA particularly has a lot to do with LeBron James being part of it, okay? Being part of the NBA and being the king that he is, okay? However, to your point, he kind of downplayed it a little bit in the post game when he was asked about it. But, <laughs> but and, and I'm not saying, like, I know some people were trying to make it seem like they're rivals. I don't believe in that, okay? No, like, no, I actually think no. we oversell rivalries a little too much in sports these days. Un- unless there's actual animus, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I don't like to pit them as, adver- as, as rivals. Adversaries, occasionally, maybe, because they're on the other side, and that's the literal definition. But you can't also sit here and tell me you were not thrilled with the MVP voting last year and then also just kind of like dismiss this being like a moment exactly. for you. You know? You can't win a championship and say, give me my damn respect. Right. And then, <laughs> and then go in and light up the state of Wisconsin. Right. Right. So I think there's a little bit of that. You know, I'm, I'm with you. Of course you there. it was. Yeah, of I'm course with there you. was. And I'm here for it. Right. Uh, I am here for all of it. Yeah. And, and, and I love it. It's part of what makes this league great. But I, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What also makes sports great is having people, characters in the sport, right? And sometimes those characters, because they are, let's face it, it's all, most of it feels like entertainment, right? Most days. But sometimes entertainment crosses over with hard realities, right? And I think that Hank Aaron was kind of the embodiment of that as the guy who had to surpass uh, Babe Ruth, who was a statesman for the game uh, during, after, huh? Was he? I mean, he was, I mean... You, you, do you want to do the real talk now? Or you want to save it for like the six o'clock hour or something? No, I, I, I you don't think that Major League Baseball made, made him feel like a statesman of the game after the fact? I, I honestly feel that Babe Ruth was a tremendous player, tremendous player, but he played in an era with an asterisk so large you can see it from space, and. When you have an asterisk by your achievements, you should always have the question of why is that asterisk there? Do I believe Babe Ruth would not have achieved the goals or the, the accolades that he achieved had he played in a, in a, let's just say, integrated sport? I will simply say I believe he's a, he's a really good baseball player. He was a great baseball player. But that is a question mark. And it's hard for me to call you a statesman of a sport when we all know when you play the sport, there's a huge asterisk in that era. Oh, no, no, LZ. I wasn't talking about Babe Ruth. I said Hank Aaron. Oh, in that case, yeah, he's great. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was so confused. <laughs> I heard Babe Ruth and I heard statesman and I was like going, No, no, no. Oh, I said oh, when oh, he passed, oh. I said that... That he that All right, Hank then let's passed. Move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babe Ruth. My misunderstanding. I thought you were saying Babe Ruth, <laughs> no. a great sports statesman of no. the sport. And I was like going, whoa, whoa. I don't no. know. No, I was that. so confused with what you were talking well, about. And I was confused about what I thought you heard you say. That's why I had to stop you. Yeah. So I'm glad we're in the Did same Did it cut out now. or something? Because I was like, I, I was, I literally only used Babe Ruth as no, a footnote. Hank, Hank, Hank Aaron was more than just a statement statesman of baseball. He was a statesman of life. Correct. That's what, because that's what I said. You know, sometimes, you know, we treat um, sports like entertainment, but sometimes the hard reality set in, and I said that Hank was the embodiment of both in that regard. He was, we would never, ever, it's impossible 
to comprehend what he endured, particularly in the early stages of his career and obviously as he was marching his way towards 715. We would, there's no way for us to even be able to quantify the pressure, um, the angst, the fear, all the things he had to compartmentalize in order to do the one thing that we all ask of anyone in the profession that they do, and that is to be excellent at it. That to me is the, the, the part of this story that needs to really be fleshed out and talked about a lot more is that it wasn't just simply he was, you know, confronted with um, uh, dealing with like racism and and Jim Crow and uh, dealing with poverty from his. It wasn't just simply that. It was the fact that once he reached the higher echelon of his profession and he became exceptional at it, he began to be punished by large segments of the society that first required him to be excellent. It was like, be excellent, but not so excellent that you surpass Babe Ruth, because then we got to send you death threats and try to kill you. So we want you to be excellent. We want you to win games. We want to be entertained by you. But now you've gotten out of your place. And so we need to put you back in your place. That to me is the part of the story that makes what he was able to accomplish, George, so extraordinary. Sure. Because in the face of all of that, he still persevered. In the face of all of that, and, and you know this, George, they say the hardest thing to do in all the sports is hit a baseball. Yeah. He was so exceptional at the hardest thing in sports, he basically was the epitome of that accomplishment. And because of his excellence, of his black excellence, America at the time, large portions of society sent him letters and wanted to kill him. And the threats was and the threats were so real that the sports editor for the newspaper, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, had prepared his obituary. Right, right. In the event that something happened to him. Right, 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 right. Crazy. It just what a, what an just what a wild life um, that he lived, and you know, lived despite all the challenges, right? And and still held his head up and was just it did it all with grace, right? Like, um, you know, because I would harbor a lot of resentment later in my life, and he de- didn't seem to be that kind of guy. No, they wanted him to. They characterized him as such. And when I say they, I mean white sports media, because let's be honest, that's who were covering him at the time, and that's who covered him pretty much immediately upon his retirement. The, the field, our industry, if you will, was not very diverse then. It's not extremely diverse now, but it definitely wasn't diverse then. And so he was characterized by those who covered him as being bitter, which one, wasn't true, but then two, without any context, as if he didn't have any, any, any reason to be bitter. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's wild when you think about everything that he had to endure for sure. So we'll celebrate uh, Hank Aaron's life, obviously, here throughout the show's biggest story in sports today. Uh, Howard Bryant's going to stop by at 5.30, Clint Yates at 6.15. We'll talk about that with them. Ariel Hawani uh, will join us 
shortly, LZ, in about 10 minutes or so, because uh, we have a big weekend of combat sports as Conor McGregor is going to be fighting on ESPN Plus this weekend, and people can uh, purchase that pay-per-view on ESPN Plus as well. But coming up next, you and I, LZ, are going to dive right back into the Lakers um, because you and I have had a point of contention with the Lakers opponent yesterday, and I mean that in a kind way because we never really argue like that. But uh, we got a difference of opinion, let's just call it. And uh, we're going to dive into some of that because I think that some of their flaws were exposed by LeBron and company yesterday. We'll tackle that in three minutes here on 710 ESPN. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Sedan on LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Ariel Hawani is going to join us to talk about Conor McGregor and the big UFC fight this weekend. Uh, I am all in on... I have been more into UFC since the pandemic started than anything else. And I think, LZ, before I get into the Lakers here, a lot of that was because, at one point, they were the only thing on. Yeah, that is true. Well, that and, and tennis, which basically means that was the only thing on. Right, right. <laughs> I love me some tennis. I did watch a lot of tennis channels. Tennis though, was actually first, which, during is, the pandemic. which is hilarious. Yeah. Tennis was actually the first sport that had the bubble and actually executed a complete tournament without any um, COVID-19 um, infections during the tournament. Yeah. I wish we could go back to that. Okay. <laughs> yes. exactly. That thing's not, uh, you know, good. That bubble idea was a great idea. We should probably go back to some of that if we can at some point, <laughs> at least maybe for like spurts of the season uh, or seasons or post seasons or whatnot. Um but with the Lakers, they beat Milwaukee yesterday. Anthony Davis had some interesting comments, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but you and I have been on different sides of who we think the Lakers will face in the finals. Uh, you think it's Milwaukee, who we saw yesterday. Yeah. I think it's the Nets. Um, I, I really think, you know, I watched that game yesterday. And I've watched Milwaukee a number of games this season. And for whatever reason, it just feels like they're off. Um, they can't be good teams for the most part. Um, they've struggled against the good teams. Granted, it's only the regular season, so those things can change. But I feel way less confident in them, and I wasn't super confident with them to begin with, um, than I did just a few weeks ago. Do you really? Yeah. Why? Because they can't be good teams, and I don't think Drew Holiday is enough. Like, I don't think their team is that much better than they were last year. Um, and Giannis, now Giannis can't even hit free throws. Like, that's a problem, you know? Like, it's not just the no mid-range jumper, no consistent jumper from the outside. It, 
It's now even the free throw thing is a problem. I don't trust Bud because I've got a sample size that says I shouldn't trust Bud. Um, but I, it's I just, weird because you have zero sample size about trusting Steve Nash. But I, I trust when you look Kevin at his Durant. Coaching staff, and when you look at his coaching staff, he's got you know Mike D'Antoni, who's never been to a finals. He's got Amari Stoudemire, who's never coached before. Like, why is the why is the coaching staff of the Nets any more reliable than the coaching staff from Bud, considering at least Bud, at the very least, has proven that he knows how to win games? Oh, I mean, let's not dismiss Mike D'Antoni. He was a Chris Paul hamstring away from getting to a finals. And also, um, 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 was it Amari Stoudemire who came off the bench um, when Robert Ory trucked Steve Nash and Sean Marion and those guys? Like, you know, Mike Mike is a better those coach, are, I dude, think, than those, Bud. Those are, like, examples. He's been a coach for several different teams across a number of, like, what is he, 20 years as a head coach or something like that and never a finals, and you gave me two examples that may have stopped him. It's not just about those two. No, examples. but Mike D'Antoni has a track record of, of a much longer track record of success than Mike Budenholzer. And, no, no, and look, no. He, but but he at the has end of the day, track record. But the reason why he doesn't, and I don't want to like you know nitpick about this, but the reason why he actually never got over the hump is because, and this is based upon reporting more than anything else, is that defense historically just hasn't been his thing. And you look at the Nets. And you see them them playing this season once again. Defense just seems to be a huge issue. They gave her like what 150 points at Cleveland. It was also <laughs> double overtime. But yes, I, I to your point, yes. But here's the thing. I what's what I said earlier, which you kind of glossed over a little bit, was I trust Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant is a two time champion. Like Kevin Durant um, knows Kyrie even as much as I. <laughs> you know, there are times that you know, as you and I talked about the other day, I could. Compartmentalize the art from the artist, right? A little right. bit with him, um, because I think he does great things as a human being. But also, I think he should text his coach and uh, his GM that he may miss work. Um, <laughs> but like, I, 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 those guys have been through this. Like, there's nobody on the box that's been through anything. True, true. I, I, I mean, there's, there's no, no doubt about that. Except they've been through heartache together. Except sure. they've been through shortcomings together. And more often than not whether it's in sports or any other aspect of life, experience is the greatest of teachers. Yeah. I also think talent is the greatest. Is, is It can overcome all that. <laughs> they got a two-time MVP and a perpetual 50-40-90 guy. So I, I tend to think they got some pretty good talent. Oh, come on, man. Chris Middleton ain't nothing but, uh, you know, a 2020 he's, he's, Eddie Jones. <laughs> he, Eddie Jones never went 50-40-90. In fact, his 50-40-90 is so solid. I think he's like 55-44-94. <laughs> like, that's how pure of a shooter he's come back as proven so far in the season. So I know you're not a huge Chris Chris Middleton fan. Yeah. But you don't get to be 50, 40, 90 if you're a bum. Yeah. By the way, Eddie came close a few times, though. I'm looking at his stats right here. He did come close. And, and, and oh, by the way, Eddie was a baller. He was a baller. But He was a baller. But, but you know what Shaq said about him? You, you remember what Shaq said about him, though? I don't think you got what it takes to make it to the finals. What do you say? Oh, that's a different And by the way, he wasn't the only one that said that kind of stuff. And I like Eddie, Eddie personally, but there were a lot of people that questioned Eddie's. I saw Eddie put a pull a Paul George hitting the side of the backboard before Paul George did many, many years ago in a Listen, conference finals. Eddie's not a one. He was not a one. I, well, but that's my thing. Chris, I don't even think he was he a, two, a two, and I don't think Middleton is a two either. he wasn't a two either. either. Yeah, I don't think Middleton's a two either, though. I think it's going to prove you wrong. Okay, I hope. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I just trust. I, give me the most talent you can give me, and that. And so, to me, like if 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 I'm looking at at the landscape, I I want the guys who have been through some stuff 
and won it and also got just more talent on, on their side. But we'll see. This will play out through the, uh, through the season. We're going to take a quick break. Conor McGregor's fight this weekend. You need to buy it because you need to watch it because it's going to be the story of the weekend outside of the football championship weekend. Uh, we're going to have Ari Hawani, the best of the business, LZ, at covering MMA. He's going to join us in two minutes. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Our friend Ariel Hawani is going to join us here in just a second. Uh, of course, Ariel is the man when covering MMA. He is the foremost authority uh, and insider, and we are happy to have him. UFC 257 this weekend. Uh, make sure that you purchase it on ESPN+. Plus. The pay-per-view will be excellent. It's a great card, and Ariel is joining us now. We will talk to Ariel about that in a second, though, but I want to give him a moment because it is also, LZ, as you know, mm -hmm. championship weekend. And I don't know very many Buffalo Bills fans. But I know that Ariel is a die-hard Bills fan. Like I feel like he has been broken Emphasis through on a table. Dying. Yeah, I feel. <laughs> I feel like he has been thrown through a table, perhaps at one point, uh, to be part of the Bills Mafia. Ariel, what is this weekend like for you with the combination of your professional work of covering Conor McGregor and your favorite football team in a place where they haven't been since 1993? Well. First of all, guys, thank you as always for having me on the show. It's always great to be on. Um, I have to tell you, it's Friday, 7.45 Eastern time, where I am right now. I feel emotionally, physically, mentally exhausted, and nothing has really even begun. Of course, like all the coverage this week for my actual job uh, of covering the UFC and Conor McGregor, in particular this week, has been going on. But because of the bills and because of what they mean to me and because of the nerves and the anxiety. I've been a fan since 1990. I, I experienced all four Super Bowl losses when, you know, I was in my formative years when sports meant the world to me. And uh, to see them back here on the verge of going to the Super Bowl, I know it's a tough task against the Chiefs, but as a father of uh, three and two boys who are slowly getting into it as well. Like, there's a lot going on, and I think, uh, you know, if I can just elaborate very quickly, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very homesick. I, I, I'm nostalgic. I miss my family. I miss my friends in Canada, and it's bringing back memories of those Super Bowl runs, and, and a lot, it's just a lot going on in my brain. So uh, I don't even know if I'm coherent anymore. But, yes, I'm excited, nervous, anxious, can't wait. Uh, everything, uh, every, everything. It's all mixed together. I love it. Ariel Hawani, the best in the business at covering MMA for us. UFC 257 this weekend as Conor McGregor's taking on Dustin Poirier. Uh, Poirier, excuse me. Uh, LZ, like, it is kind of a crazy thing. Like, we, you know, in sports, 
you know, think about the run the Bills had. Like, we clowned them a lot. They went to four straight Super Bowls, but that's hard to pull off, right? Like, they didn't actually win, um, but just getting there that many times is incredible. Uh, a feat that uh, should be marked, but to go this long, right? Like, almost 30 years between AFC championship game appearances. Man, for anybody, that just has to feel like a sense of relief. It just, like, uh, nerves and happy to be there, right? Like, a combination of all of that. I, I would tell you in all the years that I've spoken to former and current NFL players, um, it's my sense that the people who clown the Bills for those four straight losses in the Super Bowl are people who've never played the game. Yeah. That the people who know how hard it is just to get to a Super Bowl, while they acknowledge the disappointment of not actually winning one of them, they say to a to a man, simply getting to one is a miracle. Yeah. Getting to two is incredible. But four consecutive? Yeah. It's it's bonkers. And so, right. I, you know, I, I was one of those guys, you know, like a number of fans that would clown them for losing four straight times. But after really spending more time with, you know, Hall of Fame players and, 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 and people who have been around the game much more intimately than I – I got a deeper appreciation about the journey and focus a little bit less on how it ended. Yeah, Ariel, I would imagine you feel that way too, right? Like, you know, those four straight trips to Super Bowl, you were a young guy, you were, you know, a teenager or whatever. Like, the appreciation for that, how hard it is for your team to get back to this place almost 30 years, it has to give you a completely different sense of appreciation for those past Jim Kelly teams. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. And thank you for saying that, LZ. And I'm sorry about my phone earlier. I guess you didn't hear what I was saying, so I apologize for that. Um, you know, I remember vividly those signs. I don't know if you guys remember them as well. They may be cut a little deeper for me. People would show up to the games, bills with the words going down, boy, I love losing Super Bowls. We were yeah. a laughing stock, and I couldn't, I couldn't, That's actually a good I couldn't believe that like people that. didn't appreciate what these guys did four straight times. Yes, I know the, the end result was never in their favor, but to go there four times in the AFC back then, that was not easy. And I'm glad that over time, you know, there's a 30 for 30 about those, those Bills teams called um, Four Falls of Buffalo. And if you want to learn more about those guys, I would highly suggest watching it. But I got to tell you, this one cuts even deeper for me because we're all in the same boat. We're all going through a tough time. We all didn't have sports. You know, what's, when, when, when times are tough, what do we always have? We have that game at the end of the night to watch and put our feet up and to just escape, right? Well, between March and, you know, for many of us, July, we didn't have that, right? We didn't have that escape last year. And so for this team to come back with these guys, these underdogs, in my opinion, and to give this fan base that has suffered so much over the past 30 years this, this season and this close to going back, by the way, to the site, of where it all started, Tampa, where Scott Norwood missed that field goal in the dying seconds against the Giants. It's, I gotta say, it's very emotional. I've talked to a lot of Bills fans online and they feel the same. I just want two. I want two more wins and I'll never complain about everything, anything again. I just want to know what it feels like for my team to be a champion. Speaking of what it feels like, what does it feel like seeing Connor back out there after everything that his narrative has already spun thus far. What does it feel like for you as a reporter to see him give it another go? And like, what are your expectations? Well, you know, a lot has been made of his demeanor, his personality. So the early Connor that we were introduced to 
was this, you know, this loudmouth, brash guy poking everyone in the sport, you know, going after Jose Aldo before his UFC debut. Jose Aldo at the time was the champion at 145, and everyone was like, look at this guy, the chutzpah on this guy to just come in here and, you know, pretty much turn the whole sport and his respective, uh, you know, weight class upside down. Um, and that guy is not really here these days. Like, it was the same sort of thing leading up to his uh, his last fight a year ago against Donald Cerrone. He's very respectful. He's very calm. He's very appreciative. He's very happy to be there. He's shaking hands. He's hugging. Him and Dustin Poirier, they fought back in 2014. They hated each other. I mean, there's a clip that's been passed around of the build-up to that fight, and Poirier saying, I've never hated so much going into a fight before. And I think Dustin's learned a lot from that, that you can't fight with so much emotion and passion. Connor's a completely different guy as well. I personally think fatherhood has changed him. Uh, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe like this guy with all this money and the fame and everything that you know kids would change, but it, it really has affected him like it would affect us being parents. And uh, he's mellowed out, and I think he realized in 2019 that he almost became the stereotype for that fighter who had it all and then lost it all. And I think that kind of scared him straight. You know, he says the storm is behind him. He says he's the whale. He doesn't take the bait anymore. You know, we'll see how the rest of his story plays out. But I think he learned a lot of lessons from that year, being in jail cells, mugshots, fines, all that stuff, to where now he's, you know, he's finally figuring out how to be Conor McGregor, how to be a famous person. And I, I think it actually, you know, it helps him greatly, and it actually will translate into a better fighter if he's, you know, a lot less emotional and crazy leading up to his fights. Ari Hawani, the best in the business at covering MMA, joins us here on Sedano and LZ. Um, look, and by the way, of course, buy the pay-per-view, UFC 257. You can buy it on ESPN+, and you can take care of everything from there. What do we know about his opponent? Um, and how do you pronounce his name? Is it Poirier or Poirier? Because I know that, you know, I, I there's a guy who plays in the NBA that actually the R is silent. Uh, it sounds like a yep. Y. So I just want to pronounce his name properly. Yeah, you, the second one was right, Poirier. Okay, so Poirier. It's, it's, so. a, it's actually not like, if we were, it's a French name. He's from Louisiana, so it should be Poirier. Yeah. But, you know, they, they've anglicized it, as, as we say, so that's <laughs> how he pronounces it. it happens. Poirier. I, I, know, I know they fought before, but what do we know about his opponent this time around? Okay, so they fought in 2014. Connor beat him in less than two minutes, 146 to be exact smoked him. And, and back then, people said, well, if Connor wants to be a 145-pound contender, he has to get by Dustin Poirier. He did so, and shortly thereafter, he fought for the belt. Since then, Dustin, in my opinion, is a vastly different fighter. He has improved more over the past six and a half years than Connor has, and that's no knock on Connor. Connor was really, really good back then. Poirier had to mature, so I just mentioned he was way too emotional going into that fight. Connor definitely got under his skin, got in his head. He went out there trying to knock his head off in the early portion of the fight, and then he got knocked out. Since then, he has beaten a who's who, guys like Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. He won the interim title a couple years ago against Max Holloway, who's a tremendous fighter, had a big win last weekend. He did lose to Khabib Nurmagomedov um, a year and a half or so ago in Abu Dhabi when he tried to become the undisputed champion. But please make no mistake about this. I know a lot of casual fans are into Conor fights. And I know they hear, oh, he beat him? Wait, he beat him in 146? Why the hell should I care about a rematch where a guy is, is, is going after Connor who lost him in, in, in you know, a minute 46, less than two minutes, uh, six and a half years ago? Trust me, he is a very good fighter. This is not a tomato can. This is not a cupcake fight. This is a really tough guy who could beat Connor McGregor. Ultimately, I think Connor wins, but this isn't some, like, gimme, you know, BS fight. It's a legit fight. 
he's a tough out, and he has improved a lot since they fought six and a half years ago. Um, I know in your reporting that you, um, you know, you talked about the training leading up to this fight, and what was it like two months or something in Portugal or something like that for Connor? Like, is mm-hmm. this a huge shift in terms of how he's prepared for previous fights, or is this just par for the course, and we're just noticing it because you know we're fascinated by this upcoming matchup? That's a very good question, my friend. Uh, it's the latter. He's been doing the Portugal thing for a long time, and. You know, I'm relatively new to ESPN. I've only been at ESPN for two and a half years, but I, I've noticed the power of ESPN, especially this weekend with that story, because I've had a lot of questions about the Portugal trip, and I kind of want to tell people, like, he's been doing the Portugal thing for, like, seven, eight years at this point. But, you know, because ESPN did a story on it, everyone's kind of noticing it. Um, so it's not necessarily different. What is different is the fact that he hasn't fought since January of last year. Um, you know, that fight lasted 40 seconds. And, you know, the old Connor of not that long ago, two and a half or so years ago, that guy was, you know, he was all over the place. He was partying. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And, of course, when March hit and the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything, Connor really stepped up. I mean, you can criticize him for a lot of things. He's a very polarizing guy, and a lot of it was self-inflicted. And it, it's, it's, it's fair to criticize him, in my opinion. But this man donated millions of dollars to get, you know, proper medical equipment to children's hospitals, to hospitals all over Ireland. He did a lot for the community. And while he was doing that, he was working out. Like, he never got out of shape. He went to Nice for a couple of months and worked out extensively there. Then he went to Portugal. Then he built a, a basic, like, a small arena in his backyard at his large home in Ireland. Like, the guy never got out of shape. And, and the one thing about him throughout his career, the knock on him has been he doesn't have a gas tank. He has bad cardio. Well, he's worked on that extensively as well. He says, hey, Dustin wants to go into the championship rounds round four and five with me, I would relish that. I would love to show off and shut people up, let them know that I have the cardio. Ultimately, I don't think it makes it that far, but this is a guy who has stayed in shape, who hasn't fallen off the wagon, so to speak, hasn't done the wrong things. So I'm really curious to see. And he looks, I don't know if you guys saw him on the scale today, he's in tremendous shape. So I think that will lead to a great performance on Saturday. Ariel, last thing for you. I got like 15 seconds here. Do we, okay. If Connor wins, do we see Habib back in the ring with him? Not yet. Ramadan's coming up. He'll only come back if he comes back in the fall. I don't even think he comes back this, this year. Connor will fight someone else for a title, but it won't be Khabib. There it is. Ari Hawani is the best in the business at covering MMA. We love him, friend of the program. UFC 257. Buy it this weekend on ESPN+. Ariel, you're the best, buddy. Thank you so much, and have a great weekend. Thanks, brother. Love you guys. All right, man. Take, Take care. care. There he is. Ari Hawani with us here. All right, LZ, coming up next, uh, you and I are going to dive into Kobe's 81-point game. We are going to celebrate this day. It is the 15-year anniversary. Plus, we got what you need to know all coming up in two and a half minutes here on 710 ESPN. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Thanks to Ariel Hawani again. Make sure you buy the Conor McGregor UFC 257 fight on ESPN Plus this weekend. Uh, Greg, we are going to what you need to know. So it's all presented by Morongo. Play it safe. Good times. Thanks to our friends at Morongo. Greg, what do you got? All right, so last night, Shaq on NBA on TNT was 
being Shaq, and he had an interview with Donovan Mitchell. And I think it's best if we just hear the actual audio. Laura? Part of this is Shaq. I, I said tonight that uh, you are one of my favorite players, but you don't have what it takes to get to the next level. I said it on purpose. I wanted you to hear it. What do you have to say about that? All right. That's it. <laughs> that's it? All right. That's it. Okay, cool. I mean, I want you to hear it. I've been hearing, well, Shaq, I've been hearing that since my rookie year. You know, I'm just going to get okay, better and well, do what I do. Good. At the end well, of the day. Well, that's what I want you to hear you say. Yes, Love sir. your game, brother. Keep it up. Appreciate it. LZ, what do you think about that, A, that question and the answer of just I from Donovan Mitchell? Well, the, the premise of the question wasn't bad. The execution was awful, which led to the awkward moment. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're used to working in the studio and then you pop over to a remote um, Q&A, you're under the sort of feeling that that person is in on the bit you just did in the studio. And clearly, when it came to that interview, that wasn't the case at all. And so I, I just thought it was poorly executed. I don't think it was malicious. I don't necessarily think that Shaq was meaning as an insult, although Shaq does have a tendency to kind of like not give caring guys their credit. I just feel like the execution of all of it was just off, and that's what led to the, the awkward moment. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement, uh, because earlier in the show, to LZ's point, he kind of made it seem like he was talking about the Utah Jazz um, and how they aren't capable of getting over the hump because they were talking about who the team that could challenge the Lakers or whatever. Um, but he did say, you know, and as the star of the team, you got to be the guy to get them over the hump. So he did talk about Donovan specifically, but it was more about the Jazz as a team, and that did not translate there to Elsie's point. All. Yeah, not at all. It was, it was basically like going, yo, dog, I don't think you got what it takes. What do you say? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and he's Whoa. better than that. He's better than that. He knows that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, um, I, look, I, I just think that ultimately he's not wrong, by the way. And I love Donovan Mitchell. I am a Donovan Mitchell stan, okay? I think he's one of the – I think he's really good at what he does. Um, I have been invested in the kid since they drafted him. Um, I've gotten to know him a little bit, and he's super nice kid. Um, yep. So, but I, but I don't think they're better than the Lakers. I don't care how good they are, their, their, or how good their record says they are. You know, well, they weren't better than the, the you know, Denver Nuggets. Right, obviously. but I think they're better than the Nuggets so far this year for sure. Like, I don't think that's 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 very debatable at the moment. Now that could change as the season progresses. Fingers crossed. Oh, you don't think so? I, you know, I, I don't know. Okay. I, I really I really don't know because we have seen and you've been covering the league for a long time just like I have. We've seen so many teams with so much promise get stuck in the hamster wheel. Dallas yeah. Mavericks used to be like that for, oh, for oh my like God. ten years. Dirk Nowitzki lost exactly. the finals in two thousand six, then lost the first round the next year against the exactly. we believe Warriors. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it it's some some superstars, some all-time greats take longer than others. Yeah, you're right. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Your boy Top 30 Murray, though, not looking Top 30 to start the season just yet. He's not just my boy. He's ESPN's boy. I sent you guys that link. <laughs> ESPN basketball writers all had him in the Top 30. Not me. I didn't vote him in the Top 30 on that list, and I had a vote. <laughs> Well, you were an outlier, so there we go. <laughs> uh, what's next, Greg? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, all right, so Marcus Thompson uh, up in the Bay Area was in a 
press conference with Steph Curry. Yeah. And in the press conference, he called Steph Wardell, which is his legal first name, Steph Curry's right. legal first name. Yeah. How close do you really need to be to be able to call somebody like Steph Wardell? Isn't that a more of like a family type thing? Was he out of bounds? Um, I, I, well, first of all, I know Marcus Thompson and Steph Curry are very close, so there's that. Um, and, and maybe because I know that, I thought it was hilarious. And clearly Steph's reaction was great, too. Um, he was shocked. Yeah. Like, He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those two um, have, a, like, a really good relationship. Um, LZ, as I'm sure you know as well, because Marcus has been in the Bay Area for a very long time and specifically mm -hmm. has covered the Warriors uh, for even longer before he was a columnist. So um, I, I had no problem with it. I, I thought everything, all that part, that interaction – is honestly what makes the NBA interaction with the media much more interesting than any other sport. Because I feel like, even though baseball writers are around the team more, it feels more transactional. And with the NFL, it definitely feels transactional. So I'm going to let people behind the curtain um, that don't know this. Like, literally on the in the NFL, you are only allowed to talk to guys during the week on a specific day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's ridiculous. Yep. Whereas NBA players, you can talk to them potentially in a normal non-COVID world three times in one day. If they if they so choose to, so I just think the relationships there are different. It is very different. Um, I have interviewed and spoken to Magic countless times. Right. Not once in my life have I thought about calling him Irvin. <laughs> right. Not once. Right. So everyone's different. Every relationship right. is. But different. But Mike Wilbon calls him Irvin all the and time. He sure does. Yeah. He absolutely sure does. Yes. So I, it just all depends. Everyone is different. But I've never. And we've talked about like we're both from Michigan. Um, he knows that I knew the gyms he played in and stuff because I was a kid when he right. was doing it and stuff like that. So I'm not saying like you know our our interaction doesn't have any like in depth or connection. It does. Right. But I can't call him Irvin. I have to call him Magic. Sure. I agree. <laughs> I hear you. Um, all right. That's what you need to know. Brought to you by Morongo. Play it safe. Good time. So, LZ, today is the 15-year anniversary of Kobe's 81-point game. And, man, whew, um, he was, like, incredible in that game. And you know what stands out the most to me as I remember that game? Because I remember – watching that game, okay? It was a Sunday mm -hmm. night, um, and the thing I remember the most was that in the third quarter, the Lakers were down by 18 and ended up winning the game by 18. Like, that to me, of all the stuff that gets talked about with that 81-point game, is the thing that, for whatever reason, least gets discussed, but is, to me, the most important aspect outside of the 81, because they were getting their butts kicked and ended up kicking their butts. Yeah, it, it was... You know, usually, when you see a team um, or a player go off for, like, a large quantity... Um, typically it's in a blowout, right? And they're just like heaping on or they're being blown out and mm -hmm. they're just heaping on. Right. They actually needed him out there <laughs> yeah, to, to do what he did. Like it wasn't a much of a question. And I'm glad you remember the day because I was trying to, I was trying to make sure I didn't get it mixed up. So I'm glad that, um, you know, you clarified it for me because I was pretty sure the day he did it 
was the day that the magazine, ESPN the magazine closes. And just to pull the curtain, when I mean by closing for a magazine, that means we've got all the text and all the imagery and everything's laid out for and a ready specific for week. Right, right, exactly. Right. And it right. does. You can't touch it. And that day is Sunday for ESPN, right. or what it was Sunday. Right. So Kobe goes off after we've already closed the magazine. Oh no! So Monday we're like, oh, no. what the what? Because yeah. <laughs> we're about to push out this edition of ESPN the magazine. And we don't have this game in it because Kobe did it after we closed. Right, right. Because of course it's a Sunday night West Coast game. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was it. Yeah. But I was trying to like remember. I was like going. I was pretty sure that was it because I remember for some reason not being overly happy about it. Right. And I was like, why wasn't I overly happy about it? And now it, it just kind of re- I'm I'm peeling it back and like going because I think we couldn't do anything about it. Right. For the magazine, obviously, right. you know, TV and dot com is totally different. Yeah. But at the magazine, <laughs> we yeah. had an entire right. issue on the newsstand, not mentioning the greatest game in NBA in that generation. Yeah, because it was a six thirty <laughs> Eastern start, three thirty Pacific here, and and yeah, so it was in on the East Coast that for sure you were done. Like there was no question <laughs> because ESPN the magazine obviously ba- you know was based in Bristol and New York. So yeah, there's no way by the time that game ended at like. 5.30, 6 o'clock here on the West Coast. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody was home chilling, you know, in, in most of the country. I, I, I thought that was it, George. I just was trying to remember, like, going, I remember not being thrilled. And I also remember um, the basketball writer who worked for us at the time, um, Chris Palmer, coming in. Yes. And he was, like, the biggest Kobe. Like, he was a bigger Kobe fan than I was. And he right. was so hyped for it. Right. And, you know, we talked about it. We talked every single shot. We try to break down because Chris and I play basketball together a lot in New York. Um, we actually played in the league together. And so we we're trying to figure out which shots we could actually do ourselves. Right. Like we dissected the hell out of that game. But I do remember as an editor not being thrilled, knowing that there was nothing I could do to get this anyway in our magazine. And it was like. Damn it, Kobe, you couldn't have do it on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Greg, what did you remember of that from back in that day? It was 15 years ago. So I was, it was 2006, so I was uh, working at Fox Sports Radio, and I was an editor, like a part-time producer and the slash editor. And I remember being at the studio with all these different people. We were all just going crazy. We just kept hitting shot after shot. The editing bay was just going crazy it didn't even matter some people weren't even laker fans or kobe fans in general but they were like oh, oh my no, god but I, I, yeah you don't have to be a laker fan or a kobe right. fan when somebody's going off like that the whole world has to be watching right no so it was, it was just incredible to see like the energy in the entire building was just up and people were going crazy it was it was a lot of fun that night yeah because i was watching on league pass you know in 2006 um you know and that's how i was able to watch it but like Laura, what were you? Were you, what were you in high school back then? I was a senior in high school. I was screaming in my bedroom, and I was by myself because I'm the basketball fan in my house. Mm-hmm. But the next day at school, it was like you were reliving that moment all over again because everybody was talking about it. My God, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what that must have been like as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, amazing. going to school and everybody just being so hyped after a game like that because. I mean, look, it, it is the greatest scoring effort we've seen in the modern era. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, all we know about Wilt is that there were clearly people there, LZ, to see it. 
Um, he held up that that paper. He held that, up the little piece of paper. Yeah, that said a hundred. Fake but, you news. Know, There's no proof. Right, right. It is it, it, right. It, it, there are some people out there, much like the moon landing, that feel that it never happened, but it did happen. There were people that were there to document it. Um, but this was in the television era. Um, now, granted, er, still kind of the early stages of the internet in a lot of ways, um, but still in an era where league pass existed, right? So you could, you know, you didn't have to live in LA to watch it. It was, it, it was something that I remember everybody on monday just talking about the next day no matter what part of the world you were in because it was absolutely amazing it was like it was like tiger winning the masters again yeah he was like yeah. yeah you know the great wimbledon between you know rafa and and, and nadal that you know is arguably the greatest tennis match of all times it was like where were you when you know ali and frazier fought like it was one of those moments correct that you're supposed to just kind of Remember, and I was just, I was glancing uh, again at that time period because I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong with this. The first time they played the season, Kobe versus the the, the, the Raptors. Toronto Raptors, yeah, he shot five for twelve for eleven points. Now the Lakers right. won, but I don't know if he was like going, "Oh man, the Raptors messed up my scoring average. Let me make sure I get it up next time." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Jalen told me he didn't say a word in that game. Like he did not say a word. Like he was the silent assassin in that scenario um you know and by the way so there's a piece up that i wrote um in honor of the 81 point game where i talked to uh, shane battier tony allen who kobe said was the greatest defender he ever faced um Meta World peace who both defended him and was his teammate and obviously jalen who not only defended him in that game but in the 2000 nba finals when kobe and shaq were able to win that uh first championship for them and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all the guys had just such unbelievable reverence, but such great descriptive detail for their memories going up against him. So it's on ESPN.com right now. It's on the ESPN app. It's on my Twitter. So if you want, it's on the Twitter. I think ESPN Los Angeles is Twitter as well. Um, so check it out there. It's pretty cool. And on the ESPN YouTube page, the full interviews of all those guys uh, and me talking about uh, their time defending Kobe is up as well. Um, so just go on my Twitter, go on the YouTube, go on the app or the website, and it's all there. Pretty cool stuff. And, and you know, we'll do our best to kind of, you know, relive those moments today and maybe kind of hit the phones a little later, too, if you want. If you have some memories of that day, January 22nd, 2006, feel free to hit us up now at 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. We'll take some of your calls. Uh, but coming up next, LZ, the mm-hmm. NFL has done it again, and this time it's not a good thing. Uh, We'll explain what that means coming up in just a second. Stick around. We're back in three minutes. 